Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar, and we are joined today by Andre Wegner. He is the CEO and founder at Authentize. Welcome, Andre. How are you? Fine, thanks. Great to be here. Yes, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Uh, Let's start off with just giving our audience an overview of what your company does. Um, so we work with large companies um, to help them manage their additive manufacturing workflow. And so these are guys that are starting to spend millions of dollars on, on 3D printing and are really scaling up those operations and want to go, go along with that. Um, in addition, I also am the chair for digital manufacturing at Singularity University, which is an executive education uh, um, organization in the, well, in the exponential tech space. Got it. So... You are, I mean, what kind of companies do you work with? Um, so the companies in general are, uh, there's two, two categories. One organization is a service provider, so they are typically a little smaller. Um, and, but they, they, they do kind of entirely additive manufacturing or a large portion of their workflow is additive manufacturing. And they provide those services to third parties. And, those, and we also work directly with those third parties um, you can imagine the kind that ones that adopt additive manufacturing fairly heavily have been in the aviation space, uh, maybe mm. space tech, maybe medical, automotive, um, increasingly consumer things like um, consumer or industrial goods. So um, large companies in that space are, are also our clients. And if you're the founder and CEO, give us a little background into how you got to be in this space. and how often came about? Oh, okay. Um, so I used to run a venture capital fund in Nigeria. Um, and one of the things that inspired me is that out there um, around 2012, when I, um, I was in the process of coming to California, a, a plane crashed and 159 people died. Um, and one of the causes for the crash was that a spare part was missing. And the plane was flown anyway, um, because it takes a minimum of three days to get a spare part into the country. Um, and our realization has been that additive manufacturing or digital manufacturing in general will help to overcome those supply chain failures that kind of drove that event. And this is something that we're really focused on. I think that's uh, a, a really, really big opportunity. We started in the security space. So we said, okay, well, if that situation were to happen, then, of course, people would want to protect their intellectual property. Um, that is a really small market we found later. So we we jigged a little bit and focused more on internal operations right now as the market is still maturing. Um, but that that is still our aim, is to help them get so familiar and so comfortable with the technology and get enough applications going where uh, companies can start sharing the designs for step part production and other production remotely. Wow. So 3D printing, you said it's taken a minimum of three days to get those plane parts. And is, is that oh, because tra- you don't... Traditionally, 
So traditionally, yeah, they, they wouldn't keep them yeah. in stock and getting them imported into the country takes a while. So just the ability to be able to print these things on site when you need them within potentially a matter of hours? Is that, would that be Yeah, but, um, potentially right now it's slightly longer than that, but it's still a, a significant improvement on the timelines that you'd be looking for. And you have this supply chain failure pretty much anywhere, not just in Nigeria, but in every plane that flew in the States in the late 1990s, there were counterfeit parts on board. So, wow. you know, even Air Force, even Air Force One had a, had a counterfeit fire extinguisher. And um, <laughs> while we were living out in Nigeria, my, um, uh, my wife ran an oil company and, and the company lost $30 million of help to run an oil company. And the company lost $30 million in four months because a part broke and the company that made it went out of business 17 years before that. So they had to tool it all up again, scan it, get it recertified, and then ship it over to Nigeria. So there's a lot of supply chain failure that happens, despite the fact that we spend 32% of our GDP making stuff and shipping it to places um, and storing it there. So so supply chain and manufacturing together account for about 32% of GDP. And, and so for me, it's completely... I mean, it makes no sense that we'd be spending so much money and it'd still be breaking all the time. So I think a new paradigm of, of manufacturing is definitely something that people will be looking for. I mean, I, I, personally, uh, and, 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 and from an organizational perspective, we don't believe that it will ever account for all of manufacturing. You know, the scale in making, I don't know, paper cups is still going to be the key driver. So there's going to be central locations where these things are made. But... Um, even if we manage to transition 10% of manufacturing to a more on-demand in-location production system, we'd be talking about $1.7 trillion worth of value in the next, well, we, we think that might happen by 2027. So in the next eight, nine years, that's a phenomenal amount of shift that would happen. Um, just as a, by comparison, the global digital advertising industry is only $200 billion. And think about, you know, what that has brought in terms of change to Google, Facebook, and others. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, big change, and it's a really exciting industry to be a part of. Absolutely, and it sounds like a very needed change as well. Something really needs to change in that aspect for safety, for reliability, all of those things. I think that you hit on the key points that are currently still of making people feel or make um, not making uh, giving cause to delay and getting these systems to roll out is that the parts have to be redesigned to be safe they have to we have to make sure that we have the systems in place to ensure that they're being produced correctly even especially if they're being produced remotely i.e. not in the control of the manufacturer or the original manufacturer Um, and we want to be secure in terms of intellectual property. So how do we send these designs remotely, et cetera? So there's a lot of questions that companies are currently working through and we're helping companies work through. Um, and it's just, you know, in in the consumer industries, we're used to change happening at a phenomenal pace. But in, in large B2B industrial systems, especially the ones that we're working with, like aviation that are quite conservative, from a safety aspect, that change takes a while and people don't really see it every day. So um, it's not something that people, I mean, people will naturally have maybe thought about the opportunities in additive manufacturing, but but then forgotten about it because it's not in the news every day because the work is going on behind the, behind the curtain, so to speak. Exactly. 
So tell us a little bit more about what you offer. You have an all-in-one manufacturing developer platform, and you've got some design deliveries and some print monitoring. Can you go into a little bit of the offering in detail? Yes. So we have a, a manufacturing production software that manages the additive workflow from when the you know the order is first generated um, through to shipping. And what's unique about it is that it connects directly to the 3D printers to take the data from the printers and send it back into the printers as required. So that's a big deal because if we are going to trust uh, distributed production sites, we want to be directly hooked up to the systems. And we can use that data to automate a lot of the processes, for example, automatically alerting people to the fact that their part has started printing or their part has just failed or is completed, um, or use machine learning on that data to estimate the production times or use that data to generate traceability reports, all of these things we already do. Um, and so that's the core of the platform. And in addition to that, or that back core was built on a platform of modules that we have. And those modules can be also purchased separately or as add, or some of them can be bought as add-on to the system I just described. Um, so we really work with companies in scaling, helping them automate the production workflow so that they can scale without incurring much higher costs all the time. Very cool. So in this in this space, you've been working in this space a while. Where do you see 3D printing and this sort of manufacturing really taking off in the future? Well, I I think what's happened in the last since 2002, the percentage of parts that are made by 3D printers that are not prototypes, i.e., uh, are final parts that are being used in production, has gone off from zero percent to about 40 percent. So. Wow. We've seen we've seen this the, the 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 tool being used as a production tool, or increasingly being used as a production tool, and this would naturally help industries where the parts are incredibly complex. They have to have high performance. They are quite small um, and and fairly high value. So space, medical, because it benefits from customization, or aviation are natural first markets, and that's where we've seen a lot of development to date. But as those industries adopt the systems, they become cheaper, um, we know more, they become more trustworthy, and so other industries then um, uh, start adopting them. Like the, 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 the risk threshold, the threat has been lowered so that other industries uh, start adopting. And, and we've seen that happen in aviation, in industrial goods to a certain um, uh, degree also in consumer appliances, and that's you know, oil and gas in some ways. Um, that's where we've seen some uh, adoption. And typically, it's I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's happening that's not really talked about. For example, in tooling, so this is you know using additive manufacturing to produce molds or jigs or fixtures that are used within factories and help them become faster. Um, but we've also seen direct production, especially among, you know, in aviation, I think there's been a, a few big use cases. Uh, GE has just publicized a, a new turboprop engine that is 35% 3D printed um, and, and so forth. So there's, there's a lot of examples that are evolving out of, out of direct production too. And typically that's because we are lightweighting the parts or we're reducing the part count or we're increasing the kind of the, the performance 
fuel efficiency, for example, of the part. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to adopt, but it's still a very expensive technology. So the reason has to be pretty good um, to, mm-hmm. to find that adoption. Um, but one of the things that I think that we focus on is not really the application. We have our customers drive the application and we support them in scaling the production system to meet the increased need that or demand that they're having because of that application that they're, develop, they're developing. What we're really interested in is also what does additive manufacturing teach us as an industry 4.0 tool. So this is the general sense of manufacturing that more can be done with the data than it currently is being, for example, in predicting when a machine may need to be maintained. Um, and, and we think that the data can also be used to automate the process more directly and therefore help reduce costs. And we think additive manufacturing is a really good learning ground for that um, because there's more data in these machines and also there's less incumbent processes, less legacy processes. And that's exciting for us because it means that the systems we are currently developing in additive may also play a much larger role in traditional manufacturing or in digital manufacturing as a whole, which is a much, much bigger opportunity to change things, uh, change the way things are being done. So when a company comes to you with their 3D printing idea or issue to tackle, do you help them create something that is uniquely for their company, or do you have a program that you know, they can input their information into and it, and it goes in that way? Yeah, so normally companies need a standard platform to manage and track and automate their workflow. And that's what we, we have that in one, in, on one side. Um, we also have this modular platform that if their needs exceed this specific product that we are offering, we can go and tap these modules and say, well, we can, for example, we had one customer who really wanted to know how much money they're saving by printing stuff internally, but they couldn't share the designs externally because of fear of losing the intellectual property. So we have one module called Geometric Search that allows us to search a database of designs and and find a very similar one. So we used that, found a similar design to the one being printed, and then quoted that similar design in three different places and provided a dashboard back to the customer for exactly how much money they're saving without ever sending the the initial geometry out to the customer. So that was a, a, a very unique use case, a very specific use case that we work with. And typically our customers start with a platform, with a, with a product um, to manage their workflow. And then as they're going through that process, discover increased needs that they might want to meet with the modules. And for working in this company, you know, it can seem like it, it can be a very hard problem to solve a lot of times. What keeps you motivated to, to keep solving these problems and what keeps you motivated in this in this particular technology space? Um, for me, I, I mean, the, the overall vision of the company has always been the driving force. I think that's clear, right? And solving that mm-hmm. supply chain issue we talked about. And that's really motivating. But what keeps me going on a day-to-day basis is our customers are kind of some of the most creative the people I've, I've come across. But these are guys that are working on a factory floor, so to speak, with dozens of machines, maybe a few less or maybe more. And every day they're coming to work and thinking about how can I improve the process? And they have so many bright ideas. And you know, one of the challenges that we have is that we can't translate all of those ideas into reality overnight, which is our biggest, the biggest shame. But that is essentially 
what drives me every every day is that these clients are great. Um, I can't imagine being locked in an industry that where we don't have that creativity born out every day, and it's not something you'd expect from manufacturing. Seeing it in this situation too, so I'm I'm really pleased that that is happening. Um, yeah, that's what keeps me up, keeps me going. That's 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 fantastic, and you know that that is one of the beauties of technology is that you know people can dream up these incredible ideas, and they can become realities. Where you know 20, 30 years ago that that level of creativity was not available simply because we yeah. didn't have the tools. But but now we do and that is creating such a wonderful creative spark for a lot of people. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that. because um, it's something at Singularity University I think about quite a lot is you know, if we want to really get towards automation, we have to step away from this top down um automation and really thinking about in a sense I feel like we're thinking about humans a lot as units of labor, right? We just mm-hmm. want to choose some harder. Um, but but the people that we work with every day are those workers, and they're not, you know, they're not fruit that's to be juiced. They are creative, experienced individual that I don't individuals that I think could contribute a lot to making the process more efficient if they were being asked to do so and be given the tools. And every day I see that we have tools available, not only from us. I think the tools that we have are only a tiny fraction of the overall vision. But if you look at how much easier it is for untrained people to design and build websites for t- today with like drag and drop tools, it would be really fantastic if we used those concepts and made them available to everybody, whether they're working in logistics or sales or supply chain. I mean, I just recently came across a, a startup that's, um, enabling people to generate their own machine learning algorithms with a drag and drop interface. I mean, it's really lowering the barriers to allowing people to take advantage of these new technologies. Um, now we need managers to stand up and say, it's okay for the people that work for me to take that initiative and design their own machine learning algorithms. We want that. Um, I just don't see managers ceding that control at this point yet. So it's something that I think is a cultural imbalance that we have to address first. No, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. It's a very interesting and insightful topic that we could probably talk a lot more about. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is the best way for people to connect to Authentize and is you know Facebook, social media, uh, or is it through your website? It's the website. I mean we do have a lot of social media outreach just in terms of helping the new cycle and additive keep going. Um, but if you come to our website and learn more about the tools we have and then also move into, you know, if you want to stay in touch, there's ways to do that. We've got newsletters every week or month. Um, and, of course, reach out to us on, um, you know, by, by email if you want to learn more or just see a, um, a personal demo. There's ways to do that. Absolutely. Andre Wagner, thank you so much for joining us here today on Future Tech Podcast and sharing some really insightful concepts and sharing your company, which would be very helpful for a lot of different companies. Okay. Thank you. That was Andre Wegner. He is the founder and CEO at Authentize. Thank you all so much for joining us here today on Future Tech Podcast. I've been your host, Juliet Lamar. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse. 
such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.